Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, Pastor Preston Clegg and Associate Pastor Suzanne Kane talk with Dr. Angela williams Gorell about her book, The Gravity of Joy, a story of being lost and found. Dr. Gorell researches and teaches courses on joy, meaning-making, Christian education and formation, ministry in a new media landscape, and the interconnected nature of mental and spiritual health. She is Assistant Professor of Practical Theology at Baylor University's Truett Theological Seminary and is an ordained pastor in the Mennonite Church USA with 14 years of ministry experience. We hope this podcast will inspire you to find joy this Advent season. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Because It Is. We could not be more excited about this episode, as I'm sure you're aware. In the season of Advent, Advent, we've been trying to immerse our congregation in the virtue of joy, to think about it from about every angle that we could so that we might practice it uh, in all that we do, so that it might be a sign of our faith and um, a symbol of who we are striving to be in the world. Uh, to guide us in today's conversation, uh, invited a new friend to join us on the podcast, Dr. Angela Gorell, a professor at Truett Seminary, whose book, The Gravity of Joy, has shaped our journey at Second Baptist in this season, and I would highly recommend her book to you if you've not yet read it. Uh, Dr. Gorell, welcome to the podcast, and we're super grateful for the book and your work, uh, even outside of the book. So welcome and thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm grateful to be with all of you today. Great. I'm first interested in the title of your book and what the word gravity means in the title, The Gravity of Joy, and in what ways does joy have a sort of gravity about it? Yeah, I am so thankful, first of all, to my friend Ryan McAnally Lenz at the Yale Center for Faith and Culture for giving me this title, the first part of it. The second part of the book uh, title is A Story of Being Lost and Found, which is my own, um, because that's exactly what happened to me as I wrote this book but and lived it out. Um, but yeah, Ryan, thanks to him, this title for me, the moment that I read it, to myself, I thought, oh, that's it. This is it. And the moment I talked to my editor and the marketing director at Erdman's, they were like, this is it. Yeah, this is it. And it's because it captures, I think, in many ways, like the dimensions of joy. It uh, Joy is my favorite emotion because it is so uh, like malleable and it's so it's like modifiable in a way that very few other emotions are. You know, I talk in the book about like healing joy, redemptive joy, sobering joy. Um, and so joy, it can exuberant joy. Um, and so the, the gravity of joy is about trying to capture the fullness of joy and the fact that um, joy grounds us like gravity does. 
there is a weightiness to it. Like joy has grit, as I say, in the gravity of joy. Um, But also joy is contagious. It's infectious. It pulls us in toward it when we witness it. Um, And so for me, it really, yeah, it helps us to, to sort of immediately grasp the like the profundity of joy by by saying like the weight or the gravity of joy yeah and also it's sort of an ode to c.s lewis like the weight of glory um yeah yeah wonderful in your book you differentiate between what's called synthetic happiness and and real deep joy uh i think when many people think about joy, we immediately think about happiness, and surely that has something to do with it, but joy seems to be something deeper as well. Uh, I wonder if you might differentiate uh, in your own mind what um, synthetic happiness looks like and what deep, profound joy looks like. Yeah, so um, first I'll distinguish between happiness and joy and then synthetic happiness and joy. Um, and I'll do so by talking about Miroslav Volf. So Miroslav was the, um, is the director of the Yale Center for Faith and Culture, and he was the founder of it as well. Um, and he was my boss when I was doing the Theology of Joy project there at Yale. And now he's my friend and colleague. And he he distinguishes between the two in a really helpful way in the epilogue of the book joy and human flourishing when he says that happiness is pleasure happiness is ice cream on a hot sunny day he says though um joy is pleasure plus meaning Hmm. so joy and then i say in my in my book that joy is the recognition of and the connection we feel to meaning to truth to beauty to goodness and to one another And so because of this, I think that happiness tends to be related to circumstances. It tends to be an assessment of the conditions of our lives. And in fact, the the term happiness is a much newer term than the term joy. Joy is a much older word, um, but um, the term for happiness started showing up in English in the 1800s, according to Adam Potke in his book, The Story of Joy where he says that happiness really was about, like it was utilized as an economic term to assess the material conditions of our lives. So happiness really both in its etymology, like its roots, but also in just how we use it tends to be related to looking around at the circumstances or conditions of our lives and feeling good about them. And that's not a bad thing. I wish all of you who are listening with us today happiness. I I want you to look at the conditions of your lives and to feel good about them. And I think pleasure is a great thing. Um, And so I'm not like diminishing those things, but I'm saying that to situate our lives, to posture our lives toward happiness is, I think, um, a, a more... I think that it's a mistake because I think there's a worthier aim for our lives and that's joy. Joy is an, is a worthier aim because joy is not explicitly tied to circumstances. Joy can be felt in the midst of exuberant conditions in our lives, but joy can also be felt in the midst of suffering because joy, as I was saying, is about this recognition and, and connection that we feel to things like meaning or beauty or goodness, which we can feel in the midst of pain. Um, And sometimes even more acutely, because in pain, we're really longing for meaning. We're really longing for goodness. And so when it shows up, that feels incredible. 
you know, that's the effect of joy. Synthetic happiness, I'll just say briefly, I think is our attempt in especially the United States to cultivate the sort of circumstances or uh, experiences of pleasure that we think will sustain us and ultimately um, bring us contentment, but that don't. Um, they only, um, it's ephemeral, like it's fleeting, you know. This is Suzanne Keynes, um, worship minister at Second Baptist. Um, so good to meet you. I enjoyed your book so very, very much. Um, spoke to me in many ways. Um, I wanted to, the, the last, I think I did the most highlighting in the last chapter, um, all of the extra stories and um, words of wisdom and tidbits in that last chapter. Um, I loved what you said about um, the call to joy um, being not a call for the status quo. And I, I internalize that as a call to solidarity. Um, and um, you talk throughout it about, you know, how fear and anger um, obstructs our joy and how that, that keeps, keeps joy at our, you know, arm's length at a distance. We um, tend to, um, we have, we, we practice really well dwelling in those fear and anger postures, um, but speak to the, the solidarity of, you know, we, we talk about in, in our Christian tradition and in faith communities is, you know, coming alongside each other and weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice, um, can you speak to a little bit of that solidarity um, in those in those ways and how um, the the fear, the anger, um, how those can move us to that solidarity and joy as well? Yeah, thank you so much for your reflection, Suzanne, and for your question. I really appreciate um, what you're drawing out there. And I think, yeah, a lot of times people tell me in those first few chapters of the book, you know, it's so weighed, like, it's so sad. It's so heavy. <laughs> like, I don't know. And I'm like, I, and I tell people, you know, I promise that the joy is coming and chapter nine really is this ode to joy. Um, but I, I tell people too, you know, it's my hope that you feel what I felt, what the women in prison felt that I met, what my family felt, what, what people I, I interviewed felt, which is that we were all like, where's the joy, <laughs> you know? And so I want you to kind of feel that in the book and I want you to get to chapter eight and be like, is this, this book is supposed to be about joy. Like, where is it? And it does show up in little bits and pieces, but like, you know, and then I want like that last chapter, like to sing. So thank you so much for saying that. And, um, and it, I think my book reads like a Psalm. So I think like, if you quit a Psalm in the middle of it, you know, you're going to be pretty depressed. <laughs> Right. I mean, if you quit Psalm 77, like in the middle, you're going to be like, man, God, where are you? Um, but you have to like get to the end, you know, um, but to come back to what you're saying. So and I think so in that way, in just like in a psalm, what you see is the psalmist works through in very constructive, generative ways, their anger and their fear, like they name it. Right. They're always they're very honest. They're open about the fact, you know, and and so that's an important thing for me is that joy is not the only important emotion. Joy is certainly, I think, the worthiest emotion to aim our lives toward and to become open and ready for. But I think that other emotions like fear and anger 
can be teachers. Um, we don't want to allow them to remain um, in a way that we don't, we're never working through them because then they become parasites, right? But if we work through them constructively, they can be wisdom, like places of wisdom in us that mm -hmm. say, okay, that signal, this is what's wrong. This is what you need to pay attention to. And so in many ways over the last few years, we have seen uh, pockets of righteous anger rise up all across this nation and rightly so. There's been, you know, so I'm not saying in this book, like, oh, just push anger over to the side and let's all be like joy filled people. I'm saying that sometimes in order to get to this place of being truly open to joy in our lives or to especially rejoice is to first confront our righteous anger and our fear and to ask, what is it signaling to us? What is it teaching us? And then that comes to your thing, your point about solidarity is that I think in recognizing what's wrong, we can also long for what's right. In chapter nine, I talk about how um, joy is the ability to rejoice in what ought to be, right? And so together we come alongside of one another and it's our role as Christians, not just to run around the world like smiling, right? But to actually rejoice together and to call together toward one, like toward like what needs to be, what ought to be in light of God's kingdom um, that is both here and not yet, you know? And so, um, and then that goes back to Willie Jennings' point in my colleague um, who talks about joy as a work of resistance against despair. And that's where rejoicing, I think, becomes also an act of solidarity. And let me dive in right there as well. In, in that way, there are social dimensions to joy, right? Um, joy is not just a personal uh, virtue. There is, there is social heft. There's social motivation that comes with joy. Yeah. So the sentiment that you can't live honestly in this world of pain and agony and be people of joy at the same time, that really doesn't hold because joy might be the very virtue that drives us towards change and redemption and transformation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think I, what I noticed in the book um, in, in what I noticed that I keep talking and I wrote a lot about in the book was how, joy was this force that brought people together and that woke me up and that woke other people up, you know, joy gathers, as I say, in the gravity of joy, you know, and so it has, it is this force. And that's, what's so beautiful about it is that when I can't, when I'm struggling with the work of joy of rejoicing in my life, like, and I, I think that's an important point is that I really, that I want to drive home with people today is like, joy is a gift from God the feeling of joy, the feeling or the emotion of joy is the gift of God's like presence in our life. We cannot make it, but we can become more open to it. But the act of rejoicing is something that we can do. We can choose to find something good, something truthful, something meaningful, something beautiful, and a connection we have with other people and to rejoice over that in the world. Right. But that's, that's a, a choice that we can make. Um, so, there can be, there will be times in our lives when we're going through something really difficult and maybe that's some people listening today and we're not gonna be the people who are particularly like joyful or who, and, and sometimes it's gonna feel like that joy can't make its way to us. 
And so that's where being in community with other people is so important because there will be days when like you, Suzanne, when you Preston, right, when you all can be like more particularly like joyful because joy, you know, like you're more open to it in your life because of whatever is going on or um, and then I can catch your joy by being in community with you. You know, or I could rejoice with you as Suzanne, you were talking about in Romans 12, 15, right? You're like, we rejoice with one another. And so, yes, there is a very important communal dimension to joy. Where, where do you see joy in the world right now? Hmm. I see it. I think um, the world is such a big word right because it's mm. just <laughs> or your um, world even your yeah, the angela yeah, angela right no oh, i know yeah that was um yeah because i that's what i was going to say is that i think that it's easier to speak to my own personal experience each and every day um and i think for me i wrote about this a few weeks ago for a post that came out today about Advent, actually, um, that um, for me, joy has shown up in this Advent season in many, many small ways. Um, when it comes to like getting in the way of beauty, um, joy for me has shown up in. Um, so I was I was walking outside to latch uh, my gate that never closes properly, and I was very annoyed by it uh, a few days ago. <laughs> And um, I sat out on my back porch here in Texas um, for a moment because I thought I had seen a lightning bug, as we called them in Appalachia um, growing up. And indeed, I did. And I saw started to see light, 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 you know, as I sat there for a few minutes. And then I decided to just sit in the moment and to um, allow these lightning bolts, uh, bugs to, uh, minister to me basically, because lightning bugs for me are a reminder of the innocence and joy of my youth. Um, you know, growing up in the backyard and chasing them and laughing uncontrollably with my sisters about it. Um, and so in this moment, I allowed what I call sort of um, like looking back joy um, in the book. I talk about joy that's like backward looking retrospective mm -hmm. joy um, mm -hmm. to wash over me. That's so um, that's one way that I've been finding joy in my life, I think, is like trying to be someone who recognizes in a particular moment. This is really, really good. Like you should allow this to like be present to this thing. Um I, um, on Thanksgiving, I was sitting in the floor with my nephew upstairs playing at my sister's house. He's four and he was like, you know, playing with cars and trucks and explaining everything to me, you know, and I just watched this child that I love, um, and laughed with him and talked with him and learned from him. And that brought me joy. It was good. You know, um, I sat in my living room with mask on, don't worry, uh, with 15 of my Master of Divinity students. Um, well, not mine, you know, but our Master of Divinity students um, two Thursdays ago. And we sang hymns together um, as a part of our last class together. For many of them, it was one of their last classes of seminary. And 
that brought me a lot of joy and a lot of them for us, we just, we said at the end of that time, you know, even with all of the chaos in the world, with all of the uncertainty about the next steps for them, the sort of job market they're walking into, how expensive everything is right now. Like we have this, we have the opportunity, um, the ability, if we make time and space for it to sit in a circle and to sing hymns with one another and to pray over each other and to tell stories and to celebrate what God has done over the last few years in their seminary journeys. So for me, those are three sort of moments that in just the last few weeks have really like really capture joy for me. Yeah. I hope we can recall those. We've, we've done Facebook posts. Preston is posted not quite every day, but just a few times during the week where he has found some joy and our church members will jump on and share their own little tidbits. So I, I hope we will remember to recall that those, you know, we've, they're, they're on Facebook. So, you know, they'll be there forever. Um, but um, that, that's a good reminder of, of recalling these, this, this looking at joy of lest we never forget. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really do. I think the one thing that has shifted the most in my life since studying joy um, over the last five-ish years <laughs> um, has been the recognition that um, it's not my, it's, um, it's not about doing more. It's not about like trying harder. Like that's a really, I really, it's really about this. It's about open hands, open heart, okay, like God, like it's about each day waking up and saying, okay, like I'm open to you, God, finding me today, ministering to me today. Um, I'm open to meaning today, finding me. I'm open to truth being real to me today. I'm open to believing that you are good, that people are good or can be good, <laughs> that the world is good-ish. Like, you know, I'm open to feeling deeply connected on a very real and vulnerable le level, like with other people today, like God, I am living like open to joy today. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and I have really like the number one thing that I've learned, I, I think the two things that I've learned about joy in the last five years that have been so more powerful, like really powerful for me are one that it's, it's not about trying hard enough. It's about me being open to it because we find what we are looking for. Um, and then two, it's, um, that because joy is God, because joy is the very being and presence of God ministering to us, like joy can always find us. And so even if I'm waking up and I'm feeling very sad, very angry, very afraid, very confused, very overwhelmed, very stressed, like I will not always feel this way because God's presence can reach me, you know, and I can allow, if I allow God's presence to wash over me, it will be, you know, I can experience joy in that. Yeah. Richard Rohr says a little bit of God goes a long way. <laughs> so I think a little bit of joy can go a long way too. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love Richard Rohr's work. I read his meditations every morning or his team's meditations. Yeah. Such good work. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs>
And, and I was just thinking as you were talking, a similar thought I had when I read your book, you know, so many of the stories in your book are raw, personal, familial stories of pain and anguish. And yet the book is about joy. And it's made me consider in my own life how, you know, when I shut myself off to pain or disappointment or disillusionment, I am simultaneously shutting myself off to joy, the potential for joy. Uh, it feels. And, and, and in that way, suffering and joy aren't opposites. They they can coexist together. They have something to do with each other and both say that we haven't hardened ourselves at this point. And so I wonder if you could speak more to how suffering uh, has taught you about joy. Uh, has it been a tutor for you in that regard? Yeah, I think it's important to say at this moment that Miroslav made a very important point to me a few years ago about it, um, which is that joy is not dependent on sorrow or suffering, mm. but it can accompany sorrow and suffering. And so that's an important point to make today. I'm not saying that if you haven't, you know, that, that like, oh, if you want more joy, you need more suffering. Um, but I will say that for me, the most powerful text about joy in the Bible is Luke 15. Mm. And when you look at Luke 15, what you have is the, are these three stories about things being lost, right? There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, there's a lost son. And yet the entire chapter is this beautiful song to joy, right? It is this thing about like, and so what joy teaches me is ultimately the gospel. Mm. I think that's why Alexander Schmemann says that joy is the tonality of Christianity is because if at the heart of joy is a story like Luke 15 or three stories like Luke 15 points to, what we're seeing is that um, what, what suffering teaches us about joy um, is that what is lost can be found, what, has, what seems irredeemable can be redeemed. What seems irreparable can suddenly be repaired. Like that's that's the gift of joy, right? And so when we look at our suffering or our pain, um, the reason why it can be such a helpful way of understanding joy, I think, and especially of understanding God and God's work in the world is just that um, it's there in the midst of our suffering and our pain that God shows up. As I say in the gravity of joy, that God is this wit witness to our pain, that God is with us in our pain. And, um, and so joy becomes this opportunity, I guess, suffering then becomes this opportunity to just learn more about how God shows up, even when it seems like it's impossible for God to do so. Mm -hmm. yeah. You said something earlier in this interview that joy is pleasure plus meaning. Um, and I think a lot of people, especially in the pandemic, some of the things we've seen socially over the last few years, politically over the last few years, a lot of people are struggling for the meaning part of that. And yet it seems to me that joy, joy has to believe a story. It, it has to lean in the direction of beauty and truth. Uh, it's not just the sum total of experiences in a given day. Um, can you speak more about 
the relationship between joy and meaning? Yeah, and I, um, so I think it's important to say that, um, that, and this is really thanks to my friend, Michael Petro, who works at the Center for Action and Contemplation with Richard Rohr. He, um, he says that, um, he talks about often with me that suffering can change meaning in our life. Like sometimes, um, like the meaning that we've made of a certain like event of suffering, like it actually shifts 10 years later or five years later or something like that. And that's okay. And then he says, also, it's important to realize that sometimes things will happen in our lives and we can't quite make meaning of them. Um, and that's okay as well. And I think that's for me really important when it comes to the death of my nephew, who's 20, who was 22 when he died that I write about um, Mason is I still, you know, five years later, almost five years later, can't make sense of his death. And I don't find like any sort of deep meaning in it. Um, my sister staff, his mother uh, might say otherwise now. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, we haven't talked about meaning and her son's death recently. Um, but I don't feel the need, thanks to Mike and other friends of mine, to make some sort of meaning from his death, you know? So I just want to start out by saying that. But I do want to say also that I think one, um, Adam Potke says that joy is an illumination. And I say in the gravity of joy, I add to that. And I say that it's the ability to see beyond to the something more. And so meaning is not about so much, I think, tying a particular type of meaning to this particular thing or event. It's about this belief deep down that there is more than meets the eye, right? That there's, that even on my darkest days, like even in the midst of profound suffering or grief, that there's more to life than what I can touch. And that there's this sort of, you know, and so it's the, it's the sort of sentiment that um, it's a similar sentiment as Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's like junior, when he says that the arc of the universe bend towards justice, bends towards justice. It's that sort of sentiment. I think that joy is this like, okay, even when I can't tie meaning to this thing or that thing, or when my life doesn't feel particularly meaningful on this day, I believe at the end of the day, that there is more um, to this life, like then, you know, right, then than just what's happening right now, there's something, um, yeah, more than, than I can even um, articulate. Um, and so it's that sort of deep belief, I think that's really important for remaining open to joy and how joy sustains us. Um, and, and then also, um, I, <laughs> um, I had this sort of epiphany with students. I was teaching a class, which I'm going to teach next semester. Again, I'm so excited. It's my favorite class I've ever taught. It's called Jesus and the Meaning of Life. Um, and it is like, I mean, literally every, every, every class time is like my favorite church service I've ever been to because it's just like all of these people wrestling, 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 um, and with some of the most important questions that keep us awake at night, you know, kind of stuff. Um, but I had this sort of epiphany where I was, um, I asked I asked a student, and I'm sorry if you'll just indulge me for one moment. I asked the students a question because Mike, we had actually, we were having this conversation that we're having right now about meaning and stuff. And then I brought up Mike's points. And then I asked a question that Mike asked once, which is, 
Um, have you ever had something in your life that you thought would break you birth something new in you instead? Mm -hmm. And the room was quiet for a, a good bit of time, but I just let it sort of hang there, right? Like in the silence. And I just thought, surely someone's going to answer this question. And then a student spoke and they talked about, um, they surprised me. And they said that to the day, like this was the day in class that we were talking about suffering in which the whole class, we talk about all different sorts of things, freedom and bondage, justice, et cetera, like all sorts of things. Um, joy versus fear, blah, blah, blah. But on this day, we're talking about suffering. And she said, on this day, so many years before this day, this exact day, her dad died by suicide. And she said that she was not a Christian prior to her dad's death. But that because she longed to see him so much again one day, that she went on this journey of trying to understand how she could see him again. And she discovered Christianity hmm. as this teenager, which is so fascinating to me and beautiful. Um, and she became a Christian. And then she looked at all of us in the room and she said, is that what it took? Is that what God needed for me to find God? Is that why my dad died by suicide so that I would become a Christian? And I looked at all of them and I said, what do you say? What do you say? Tell her. What do you think? Did God need this? You know? <laughs> and then I just kind of hold my breath as a professor for a good two minutes. And I'm just like, someone's going to speak to this. And I felt in this moment, you know, and then one of my other students said, no, no, God didn't need it. God has always, always been searching after you. God has always loved you. God has always been seeking you. Maybe just in that moment or in those months following your dad's death, your eyes were opened to it. I don't think that God needed that though. And I thought, thank God for his response. <laughs> mm -hmm. And thank God for that sort of theology because I can live with that. Mm -hmm. And then I said to all of them, oh my goodness. And this comes back to the epiphany that I had. Oh my goodness. I've always hated that verse. All things work for good for those who serve the Lord. And I've hated the way that people use it for years. I've hated it. I cringe every time I hear it. But I said, maybe it's like the arc of the universe bends toward justice. Maybe it's that not that everything is good that happens. It's that God uses this thing and that thing and this thing and that thing and that. And somehow, some way in Luke 15 fashion, it all comes together for the good, you know? That's beautiful. And that's the kind of class that's not measured in GPA at the end. You're asking the existential questions of life. Yeah. Um, I guess let's tie it up with this, this question to you. Um, in an article I read recently, they talked about joy as living in the middle voice. And it's kind of what I've heard from you today in that uh, joy is a gift from God. It comes to us outside of ourselves, and we can't, with all the muscle of our souls, we can't conjure and create that up, but we can open ourselves to it. Uh, and I've heard you talk about presence today and vulnerability. Is there any other posture of life that you might encourage our listeners to practice 
that opens us up to the possibility of joy. Yeah. First of all, was that Charles Matthews? Were you reading? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. I love him. First of all, he's a great friend. He's a friend of mine and Chuck is awesome. And I love that whole piece. I mean, he is just his thought, like um, he's footnoted in the gravity of joy. And um, yeah, that is a powerful article um, that he wrote. And so thank you so much for bringing that up. I think for me, I would encourage you to, um, in chapter five of my book, I introduce readers to women that I met who were incarcerated and becoming a part of that group. This book is about, it has the subtitle, a story of being lost and found because of those women. Um, I don't have any sort of illusions that these women um, had the same experience in that Bible study room that I did. I cannot speak to that. Um, That's why the dedication on my book partly to them is may the joy that you brought me be yours too. (laughs) Um, What they did for me in that circle to this day, um, obviously is very moving to me because um, I had to leave Um, this at first, I thought it wasn't a gift at the prison. You had to, in orientation, you had to promise that at this particular prison, because it was a maximum security prison and several of the women in my Bible study were in prison for life, um, and for really significant crimes. And so I could not tell my last name. I could not say whether, um, like where I worked, where I lived, what I did, anything like that. So I had to leave my education my ordination, my job, and any other roles that I had in the world um, at the door. And then I had to talk about who I was, like what was left <laughs> like, after all of that stuff. Um, and secondly, that circle became a place of no shame. It was a place of um, you come as you are and you come without all of the stuff. Like you do, you come without, I mean, just, yeah. And so my invitation to everyone listening would be, if you want to become more open to joy in your life, find a circle to sit on, to sit in where there is no shame. Mm-hmm. Cultivate a circle like that. If you can't find it, you can be the maker of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you leave shame at the door. And then you invite everyone in that circle to talk about who they are without talking about being married, being a parent, their work, or their education. And then, and, and I promise like you will be changed. <laughs> it's very transformative. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today and more so for the book, the gravity of joy and for your work. Um, we're, we're most appreciative and Second Baptist Church is the better for it. So thank you so very much. Um, we are in our show notes. We'll include a link to purchase the book should you should you desire to do so, which we highly recommend. Uh, and if you're listening today, uh, thank you for your time. Uh, we wish you joy in this season, the deepest of joys. Uh, We are striving for Second Baptist to be a circle of humanity where we know each other and there is no shame, and you have a place in our circle, and we wish you the joy that only comes from deep meaning and uh, life that matters in this season as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. 
uh, we think that event has something to do with both joy and meaning. Peace be with you. As you go, go and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2bclr.com. That's the number 2, bclr.com. And like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.